Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. this morning. We're so glad you're here. My name is Dan, and I'm part of uh, Trinity Central Church, and we're so glad that you're here this morning to celebrate with us this most important time of year in our calendar, the birth of Jesus Christ. And uh, kids did such a good job at telling the story. I thought I'd share a bit of my own journey to the manger. I was raised in rural Canada, a fairly religious family back in the 70s, 60s. And I became accustomed to this ancient story. And it had a once upon a time feel to it, like that it wasn't really that real, but it's just something we did every year. And if you were to ask me when I was in elementary school, if I believed that Jesus Christ was God and that he was born, I'd say, sure. It seems like a lifetime ago, but in public school in Canada, we would stand every morning and say the Lord's Prayer and have a Bible reading, much to the dismay of teachers. And I just couldn't wrap my head around what all this meant to me. Sunday mornings, my mom would pile all us kids in the car and off to church we would go. But one one morning in the mid-70s, one Christmas, uh, it was around Christmas time, my mom signed us up for the Living Nativity, and it was in Cranbrook, B.C., at before, uh, before the couple of weeks before Christmas, and I did not want to go. The Living Nativity was some farmers would bring some animals and cage them in and then stand us kids out there, and it must have been literally minus 20. And we're freezing. And I asked my sister, because it was a long time ago, I asked her last week, I said, do you remember that living nativity? And she said, you mean the year we almost lost appendages? (laughs) Yes, I do. I remember that. It was horrible. Why did they make us do that? And I think they thought that the town would just fall down amazed and worship God as they drove by. They wouldn't get out of their car because it was so cold. They would just watch us freezing to death. But something happened that that week that I was stuck out there every day against my will. My heart became three times colder to the whole thing. (laughs) I said, I am never doing this again, I told my mom. And she said, look at this. It was right around Christmas. She said, the newspaper came, and she said, you're in the front page of the paper, the Daily Townsman, you and those kids. And I'm like, and so I looked at the paper, and I remember when the photographer showed up, there I was in the back, I was a shepherd, and I, pulled, I had pulled the beard up to here and, the, and the, the head covering to here, and all you could see is this little ninja shepherd in the newspaper, and I breathed a sigh of relief. I did not want my friends to say that, to see me like that. So that was it for me. I gave up, and through my teenage years, my life took on a whole different look. I put that life behind me, I got some new friends, but one of these new friends when I was about 16 uh, said to me, hey, listen, um, there's a guy in town, he plays for the Edmonton Eskimos, he's a quarterback, and I really want to get his autograph uh, on my football. So 
I said, yeah, so? And he said, well, I want you to come with me. He's going to be talking at a hotel in town, a banquet, and it's a free meal, and you can come and listen to this guy. And I said, well, number one, I don't like football, and number two, what's the hitch? What, what's going on? He said, well, it's some kind of religious thing. And I said, well, I'm not going. And he said, please, just come with me. We'll sit in the back. It's not a big deal. And the thing is, Mike was pretty much an atheist. That's what the amazing part of this whole thing is. He invited me, and I, I said, okay, if you insist. So I went with him. We sat in the back. And I listened as Ron Esty, I think his name was, the quarterback, began to share about his relationship with Jesus Christ. And with tears, he told of how Jesus had affected his life. And I thought, is this real? Like, maybe Jesus is real. And something was beginning to happen in my heart as I listened to him. And I remember going out to the truck after, and Mike said, well, I got my, I got my football autographed. And, and uh, I said, well, did you hear what he said? And he says, what are you talking about? And I said, about Jesus, did you hear what he said? I said, that guy has something I don't. I'll tell you that right now. And Mike said, yeah, money. That's what he has. You do not have money. I said, no, it's more than that. And something began to stir in my heart as I, as I contemplated what Ron had said. And a few weeks later, I said to my friend, Mike, I can't shake what that guy said, what that football player said. I said, I think Jesus might be real. And he goes, oh, no. Why did I take you? He said, are you getting religion or something? And I said, no, I, no, it's different. It's different. I don't know what's happening. Something is happening in me. And I just couldn't shake what that guy said about Jesus and how he affected his life. Well, it was a while later I found myself, we used to have these bush parties. And back then our parents didn't care what we did. So we'd go out there all weekend and party. And I would, all of a sudden got sick of it. I'm like, I am so sick of this every weekend. So I walked off into the bush by myself. I walked away from my friends. And it's in the Rocky Mountains, and it's just a beautiful part of the world. And I could see, actually, the outline of the mountains, the stars. And I thought, if there's a God, he must be big if he made all this. And I thought, if, if he's that big, how, would he care, how could he care about me? In the scheme of this whole universe, they could bury me here. I could die here. They'd bury me. My parents would cry for me for a while. But that would be it. I would be for God. But I thought, I'm going to try something. So half drunk, I called out into the night sky. I said, God, if you're out there, I'm sick of my life. Take me away from all this. You know, I'm not the first one to ask those kind of questions. I'm fascinated with space. A few months ago, I watched a documentary on the new James Webb telescope. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's like a, the Hubble is like an old iPhone now compared to that. Incredible images of our universe. The release date was July 11th, 2022, and much anticipated images from James Webb were about to be released to the public. Before showing the pictures to the public, a, a group of President Biden's inner circle gathered and looked at these stunning images, deep field images that contained an innumerable amount of galaxies. The scientists explained that the image 
was taken from a tiny speck of sand in our visible sky. I brought a picture of the first one. You put it up. It was amazing to watch the astrophysicists, I think they were. All these people, some of them began to get tears in their eyes. It was amazing to watch. And I, I remember this one guy in particular. His name was Bill. His name was Bill Nelson. He was a NASA administrator. And I'll never forget what he said. I had to write it down. I find more th the more we find the cosmos so large, Bill said, I want to find out who I am and what I am and how I fit into all of this. Images like these kind of shrink us down to size, don't they? Well, it's true that God does work in mysterious ways because back to that night at that party, calling out to the night sky, what unbeknownst to me, there was cancer growing inside of my body. I had no idea, yet it corresponded with what was happening in my soul as I contemplated God. And that, that following week after that experience out in the bush, uh, the doctor's office called me because I had had a lump growing on the side of my face that they thought was an abscessed tooth. But it turned out to be, he brought me into his office and he said, you have a malignant tumor on your, on your jaw. And uh, I'm like, what does malignant tumor mean? And he said, you have cancer. Well, cancer, Terry Fox, had, our Canadian hero, had just died the year before of cancer. And I thought, I'm dying and I don't know what's going to happen when I die. Suddenly the universe seemed big and empty to me as I faced in eternity, and I was convinced that I was going to die. And I, I remember my sister said, because um, I was just devastated. Everybody was devastated. I was like 18 years old. And so I went to church with her the following week. And I grabbed a pastor after and I said, man, I'm dying, and I don't know what's going to happen when I die. He said, why do you think you're dying? And I said, because I got cancer, and they think it's spreading, and I have to go to Vancouver for surgery. And I said, I don't know what's going to happen when I die. I, I said, I believe in God. I believe that he exists. But I feel so alienated from him. I feel like he's out in the universe somewhere. And then he began to explain to me the best news I've ever heard in my life. He said, the reason you feel so alienated from God is because you are. And he told me how my sins had separated me from God. How I had, and sin is just missing the mark of God's perfection. And he explained to me how Jesus Christ had come and died on the cross, born in a manger 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect life that I couldn't live, died a death that I should have died, and died on my place on the cross. And he said, you can have peace with God just by confessing your sin and inviting him to have first place in your life. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And he said, why not? And he said, I said, because I'm so rotten, what's God going to have to do with me? I knew, I knew I was rotten. And then he explained it to me again, and all of a sudden it started hitting home, that there's nothing I could do to gain God's approval, that it's a simple gift. That's why we celebrate Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. God came looking for us 
when we couldn't find him. The creator of the universe came and made himself known in that manger all those years ago. God was up to something in Bethlehem, and he was up to something in my life. The Bible says that, God, that Christ in God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. The Christmas message is all about reconciliation. God has reconciled us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. When Christmas is no longer a fairy tale, everything changes in your life. If we give him room, the baby in the manger will upend our lives in a good way. God intentionally leaves no room for neutrality. You see, all over this nativity story, the trajectory of everyone's lives are changed in one way or another. Look at Mary. Listen to what the angel says to Mary. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, the angel said. After hearing she'd carry God's son, Mary ran out and wrote a song, the first worship song by a human. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Filled with incredible joy, she ran out and wrote this song. My soul, one of the, I love this line in her song that she wrote. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see, Mary needed a Savior just like we do. And she knew that she had found her Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary was meeting her Savior. And you think of Mary's fiancé, Joseph, a working stiff, eking out a living, I'm sure wanting nothing more than to settle down in an obscure town and start a family, only to find out that his bride is actually pregnant. An angel appears again and says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. That was Jesus' mission, was to save us from our sins. Plans upended, new direction, new unknown direction. And what did Joseph do? He obeyed, and it was costly to him. His life took a different trajectory than he had thought. What about the rich mystics from the East? Three wise men. It's estimated they traveled 800 to 900 miles. How far are you willing to go to find out the truth? There was nothing casual about these people in their search for the Messiah. I love their reaction. Like, unlike you too, they found what they were looking for. The Bible says they saw the star and they, ex they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child, and they fell down and worshipped him. Opening their treasures, they offered, they offered gifts of gold and frankincense and mirth. You see what results is great joy and worship. They found what they were looking for. But there's one more that wasn't mentioned today in the story. His name was King Herod. Do you remember King Herod? He was a ruler of Judea when Jesus was born. The king of his castle, extremely rich, self-made man, undisputed ruler of his kingdom. When Herod said jump, 
everybody jumped. He had heard rumors of a birth that another king was in town, and he was troubled and went on a murderous rampage. All competition must be eliminated. God must be killed and removed from Herod's worldview. Where there is rejection of God's kingship, joy, true joy, dissipates. No room for God on Herod's throne, no surrender, no joy, no hope. I have to tell you that the shepherds are the ones I identify with the most in this story. God came looking for them when they weren't looking for him. Working graveyards, minding their own business. They're like the security guards I met at a mall a while back. I was working at a mall uh, doing night shift. I work in construction. We all went outside and I watched as they stepped outside and had a smoke break at like two in the morning. I just picture the shepherds like that, humble servants, unknown servants. And the sky opens up and God announces through Gabriel, his general angel, the general of angels, surrounded by multitudes of angels with this beautiful announcement, fear not. That's a common thread in all the people. The angels say, fear not, fear not, for I bring you good news that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Imagine the thundering voices of those angels singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Couldn't our world use that peace now? Among those with whom he's pleased. With haste they went and saw the baby for themselves. They became instant evangelists. They told everyone. They returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard. My girlfriend at the time of my cancer also encountered Jesus in a powerful way. Last week, we celebrated 40 years of marriage. (laughs) It was good. It was good. We went to Tofino. Both were sick, sick, sick. Our Dudley came with us, little Labradoodle. Walked the beach. He found some marijuana somewhere. So Dudley got stoned, and Val and I got sick on my 40th anniversary. It was fun, though. We had a good time. But I've noticed a lot of similarities between my relationship with my wife. She was 18 when we got married. I don't know if people do that anymore. Her dad had to sign for us to get married. And uh, I said, can I marry Val? And he said, well, yeah, but you can't give her back. I said, okay. (laughs) I'd never think of that. But both Val and I, when we were, like, I was 19, she was 18, we entered into a covenant. We got to know each other. A bit young, some might say. It worked out for us. We stood in front of a church with people, our families, and we, we pledged before God and each other our love and our covenant of marriage all those years ago. When God sent Jesus to earth, it was his second covenant. He came, Jesus came in a covenant of his blood when he died on the cross with us. And he stands ready. He stands ready to forgive. He stands ready to fill us with peace. He stands ready for our lives to have purpose and meaning in a world that's falling apart at the seams. 
And the invitation is ours today to respond. He waits. He waits like a groom waiting. At the, okay, he's ready. He loves us. He's just waiting for our response. I love the Christmas message. It means so much to me now, so much more than when I was little. At Christmas, God became one of us. The search is over. Through his angels, he introduced himself, but it didn't end in the manger. Jesus lived a life that we couldn't live. He died a death that we should have died. He became our substitute on the cross. I wonder if you've encountered Jesus Christ in a personal way in your life. Peace with God begins with peace on earth. Peace with God brings peace on earth. One of my favorite speakers said, you know the problem in the world, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That hit me. The problem in the world is me, separated from God, so I do my own thing. Peace on earth will come as we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Do you need peace in your life? I'd like to close just by inviting you uh, over the next, in mid-January, we're going to be going on a seven-week journey through the Gospel of Mark. And um, it's uh, starting, sorry, it's starting on January 15th with myself and some friends. And Mark is a book in the Bible that is a, an account of the life of Jesus. Christianity Explored is a course designed for people interested in finding out who Jesus is and what his claims are and what his mission is. It's wonderful to just travel through Mark together, learning it from week to week. If you've never been to church, is this your first time, or you have never opened a Bible, or maybe you're a new Christian, this is for you. It's a relaxed atmosphere where all views are welcome, and I'd love to see you come out. It'd be great. I've run similar courses in the past. There's no telling what could happen. I went over to my uh, couple that I introduced to each other. They were my helpers 20 years ago. Now they're married and have four kids. Who knew, eh? It's amazing. <laughs> amazing what God does. I'd like to welcome the choir back up to the stage. We're just going to wrap up with a couple more songs. We're so glad that you've come to join us today. It's Christmas. I'd like to end with a little story that explains what Christmas is. Tim Keller tells the story of a lady named Dorothy Sayers. Dorothy was a woman that lived years ago. She was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University. She was a writer of old detective stories. Her most famous character was Lord Peter Wimsley, an aristocrat who solved mysteries. He was a single man for a big period of time, and Dorothy wrote a series of novels about him. Suddenly, in the middle of her novels, a woman appears. Her name is Harriet Vane. She's one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. She's a writer of detective fiction. She and Peter meet, solve a couple of detective mysteries, fall in love, and live happily ever after. Many people have said that Dorothy looked into the world she had created, saw the man that she created, and fell in love with him. And so she wrote herself into the story because she saw that he was lonely and that he needed her. At Christmas, God looked at our world. He looked at Vancouver. 
He looked at my life. He looked at your life. And he wrote himself into our story. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the message of Christmas. God became one of us. He lived a life we should have lived, died a death we should have died. He died in our place. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas.